We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome to another. Welcome to the J episode. This is episode number 10 from season three. I can't believe we're already this far into it already. Make sure to like and subscribe to the Field of 68 Media Network. I have a very, very, very special guest with me today. He's a big time friend of the show. He's been on here before. Uh, he's always been a fan, fan favorite in Omaha. Uh, he's one of my favorite teammates that I had a chance to play with. Uh, he's also done some radio broadcasting for the boys. And he's also a newlywed. Hey, congratulations. He is always the pride of Shawnee, Kansas. This is my man, TC, Tyler Clement. Welcome back to the J, brother. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Appreciate the intro there. Good to be back on. Man, I've missed you so much. Like the last time we saw each other, obviously, was celebrating you and your lovely wife. Uh, that was my last weekend in the States before having to head back to Europe for, you know, this game called basketball. I would not have had it any other way. That was the perfect way to end a summer, in my opinion. So again, congratulations. How's the uh, newlywed life going for you? Well, thank you. No, I appreciate you coming and glad you had a good time. It's It's been going well. It's it's nice. I've been telling people it's nice to be able to kind of relax this winter a little bit. You know, we had a busy summer. My brother got married at the beginning of the summer. I had a lot of friends that also got married. So, you know, it was a busy year for us. It was a fun year for us. We got a house and now we're kind of finally able to enjoy the house a little bit and relax a little bit. That's awesome. So happy for you. So proud of you. 
Let's get into it. The boys on a three-game winning streak after all hell had broken loose there for a little while. They beat Seton Hall last night, 81 to 60, 83 to 61, sorry. Uh, Mac was able to clear the bench with about six and a half minutes left in the second half, which is always a good sign to see, which means the boys handle business early and often. Lots of Blue Jays who really stood out. Uh, just going to name a few performances out there. Ryan Nemhard, 14 and five assists. Trey Alexander, 15 and six assists. Ryan Kalkbrenner, 17, eight and six blocks. And Arthur Kaluma, 14 points, 11 rebounds. Out of those four guys that I named, who most impressed you last night? I mean, the story of the last three games has been Kalkbrenner. I mean, ever since he came back, you can kind of see that continuity being restored a little bit for the guys because, you know, they were they were hitting a rough stretch and it wasn't, you know, just the absence of Kalkbrenner. Everybody was kind of going cold at the same time, it seemed like, you know, prior to these three games and just having him back, I think, has restored a lot of confidence in these guys. And so just the, his ability to affect Seton Hall, you could see it last night on the defensive end, just even – where it seems like they may have an angle, he's somehow able to recover and block some shots and you kind of flirt with the triple double there. It's um, his presence is huge. And then he's finishing shots at like a 75% right now or something ridiculous on the offensive end. So he's been great and kind of, you can just see, it seems to have lifted everybody else's confidence as well, which is nice. It's been nice to see because you're starting to see some guys get more confidence in their shot tray the last couple of games, especially. And so um, it's been fun, but I think, you know, the story is called Brenner with, with just his ability to affect the game in a lot of ways. I agree with you there for sure. We saw the Jays really struggle with his absence. And, you know, last night, five blocks in the first half, that really deters the Seton Hall team who really doesn't have a lot of shooting prowess to begin with to attack them as much as they usually do. Coach Mack has been known to say that, you know, a lot of people around the team has panicked because of the six-game losing streak. But, yeah, the absence of Cockburner during three of those games and then his recovery to get back into game shape and, and to see what he's doing now. Uh, Coach Mack has been known to say that he doesn't want to panic until he sees his team lose these types of games with being like fully healthy. Now that Kalkbrenner is back and it seems like their mojo is back on, is this the team that we were anticipating going into the year? Like, is this the team that we all think would be a Elite Eight Final Four type of team? I mean, if they play like they did last night, you know, that's that's certainly huge. I mean, making some threes goes a long way. You know, I think we made 11 threes is what I saw in the box score, which, you know, helps everybody get the confidence goes, you know, some couple of those games where we lost, we just, the shots weren't going in. And sometimes that's the difference in those close losses. But, you know, overall, that was one of the better games, I think, of the year. You know, Seton Hall isn't a bad team. They, you know, they're off to a rough start in Big East play, but they've lost close losses to Xavier and Providence. So it wasn't like they were, you know, the bottom of the barrel, so to speak, in the Big East now. Who knows how it'll ultimately shake out. But they're a good team coming in, playing well. They just beat St. John's by a lot. So beating them by 22, which really the, we were up by 30-some in the in the second half. And like you said, he got to pull some of the starters. So it was a very dominated game, which was a, against a, a, a pretty solid team. So I think that's what the, the, the ceiling can be, and even then some. And we saw it a little bit in Maui as well, which is part of the reason why I think you know, I was still cautiously optimistic during our skid because we saw what we're capable of. And we saw it again last night and we've seen it the last couple of games as we started to kind of find our rhythm. And the next couple of games will be a huge stretch for us, which, um, you know, will really tell a lot as we have a tough road stretch coming up and then, you know, Providence at home after that. So three tough games. And that's why also the starters getting able to come out is pretty huge before that tough stretch. 
You mentioned being cautiously optimistic. I think that's a pretty good way to frame it. But I want you to expand on that a little bit because I know that around, you know, Blue Jay Nation, it was like panic button, hit it, hit it. What's going on? How can we get back to who we are? So what what about those games during that six-game slide had you cautiously optimistic? Well, and to me, it was kind of like what we saw at the beginning of the year because we saw what we're capable of. I, I guess I would have been a little more concerned if we came into the year with these high expectations and then never showed that we should could match that. And we saw that we could beat a top 10 team in Arkansas and beat a solid team in Texas Tech and then go toe-to-toe with both Arizona and Texas who are, you know, top 10, 10 teams right now. So, you know, we saw what we're capable of. And really, to me, it was a matter of, a couple different factors. Everybody seemed to go cold at the same time, which again, shooting can it can be as simple as that. Sometimes if you just make a couple more threes here or there, that's the difference in those two or three point losses. And we weren't winning those close games this year like we did last year. And so sometimes that's the difference between a couple losses here or there. On top of that, you have three games without Brenner. Ryan was already sick before in that Nebraska game as, as much as probably he wouldn't want to admit it. He was feeling it and kind of got dominated on the defensive end that game. And so that was the game where they decided to shut him down. So you have like four games essentially outside of the Texas and the Arizona losses, which again, aren't bad losses where you just miss that presence. And then, you know, ultimately it was just a, a, a funk where we can get back to where we were at the beginning of the year was, was my feeling. Now it can snowball and go the other way as well. If you start to lose confidence and you, and as we've seen before, and, you know, a six game stretch was very rare and it hadn't hadn't happened, frankly, since the year right after you left where we, I think we lost eight or nine in a row. And they were, they were all close losses kind of like that for the most part, where it was just frustrating loss after loss, but this team has so much more talent than that team did. So it was, it wasn't panic for me. It was more of let's get healthy and let's kind of right the ship. Now it's, it's not easy to say when you're going into Big East play because you can't always find, you know, a couple easy wins here and there in the Big East. But this three-game stretch is really huge. And, you know, ultimately, hopefully, can, we've got the right momentum going into these next couple games where it's really, really tough games. I remember how painful that year was because that was my first year out. I was in Romania for the first time. First time I had to stay up to like 4 a.m. to watch you guys play. Get off to a rocking start to start the year. And then like those close losses, like back to back to back, three point, two point loss. I think at one point you guys had like a like six game losing sheet, but like the point differential was like like 12 points or something like that. Like it was just so close every single time. So, yeah, I do agree with you as far as like the, this particular uh, set of Jays had more time than the Jays back then. But still, like that was just so much. I don't know. I, I have to admit that I lost a little bit of optimism during that stretch, but I certainly have it back now that, you know, they're back on this three-game winning streak, which is also how crazy this college basketball game is, right? Like, there's so much parity around, around the nation. Like, you lose a couple games, you're out of the conversation immediately. What has happened? What has gone wrong? You win two games, three games in a row, and all of a sudden you're right back in. I wouldn't be shocked if, if we beat one of these upcoming games on this road trip coming up here that they're back in the top 25. Like, how... How crazy is it like the roller coaster of a season that the college basketball season has already been? Yeah, it's it's incredible. I mean, last night, K-State wins at Texas by – they scored 116 points or something like that. And so you've got teams that already have been losing. Purdue lost two nights ago as the number one team at home. So, it, I mean, that's what's fun about college basketball. It's that close, too, and that's where – you know, you lose a couple of these close games versus you pull out a couple of the close games makes a difference between, you know, being like a four seed and a 10 seed in the tournament come ten or tournament time. So there's always that small margin of error. And Coach Mack talked about it a lot when we were there. It's like 
you know, the, there's a couple plays here and there that can then determine a couple games, which you hear it's very cliche, but it's very true in college basketball. And, um, you know, this, this year, especially there, there seems to be a lot of, a lot of good teams and some really good teams, but nothing like, I, I don't know, it's hard to peg who will be the, the, you know, if you had to pick a title favorite right now, because there seems to be like the top five is changing quite a bit. And, um, I don't know. I don't know if we say that every year in terms of college basketball, but it does seem to be a little bit more parity this year. And, you know, to your point, if we're able to, you know, win one of these road games, we're right back in the conversation. Cause I still think, you know, we're not even receiving votes in the top 25. It's because it's kind of like you said, you lose a couple in a row and then you're forgotten about until you win a couple in a row and then you start getting yeah. talked. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You mentioned the three-point shooting a little bit earlier. I want to get back to that. The Jays uh, made 11 of 27, shot 40%, I think, is that was that final percentage. Uh, going into the year, we knew that was going to be, you know, something to look at, whether or not the Jays can make enough shots to open up the lane for a guy like Cockburner to post up or dive to a rim and get those, you know, misdirection action that Coach, Coach Mack is so well known for. Uh, for the Jays to be successful moving on in the season, what is like a realistic expectation that fans should say, okay, if they shoot 35 to 40% ish a game, then we have a really good chance of winning all these games. Yeah. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of a little bit North of 35, because I, I still don't think this is the the greatest Creighton shooting team, you know, in the last decade, we've had some teams that you know finished the season around 40%, which is and above um, and so those are really good shooting teams. And I think we've got the shooting this year to have these type of games where we do make double digit threes and can, you know, really just blow teams out like we did, but also games where we're not going to shoot as well. I think this team though also has the ability, especially with Kalkbrenner back to be a defensive strong team. You know, last year they finished top 30 in Ken Palm defense. A lot of people like to quote that because mm -hmm. That was very rare for a Creighton team. I mean, we never finished close to the top 30 ever in, in my time. <laughs> that, that is not in our DNA. <laughs> exactly. And so last year we had a, a very, very below average shooting team for Creighton standards, yet we were able to overachieve because of the fact that they were able to dig in defensively. And they can do that again with a lot of the same defensive pieces back. So I think what to expect going forward is this is a better shooting team than last year or you would hope for. I mean, I, we did lose some good shooters in Hawkins and O'Connell, but you know, everybody's a year older and a little bit more confident. And then you had a guy like Baylor Shireman and, and Farabello who can really stroke at that. You know, ultimately, I think that 35 to 40 is a great range. And then those nights where you do shoot 30 to 35 percent, ideally now we're back to where we have the, the confidence defensively to dig in and then also can start driving the ball a little bit more as well. Because I think 
during that stretch when we were shooting poorly, it also got a little bit stagnant where we were just kind of relying on, okay, we're going to shoot our way out of it. And we didn't have call printers. So, you know, what, what else do we do in terms of getting to the bucket? And so it, it, to me, it was just that everybody kind of hit punk at the same time. And it's not a good recipe if you want to avoid a losing streak. But I think, you know, the nice thing is this team is so balanced that if a couple of guys, one or two of them have an off night shooting, then other guys can step up. I mean, last night, Baylor Shireman only had six points. He affects the game in other ways, but you know, he's been pretty consistently and pretty steady throughout the season. And the fact that he didn't have his best shooting night, but we still, he didn't really have a bad shooting night. He just didn't need to score a whole lot last night. So it's just a, a nice balanced effort, I think, is what you can see and what people had hoped for coming into the year. You mentioned Baylor. You mentioned Fabarello. A guy who's super shooting has definitely improved is Trey Alexander. Like we've seen that these past couple of games, especially that 32-point game on Christmas night. He goes uh, for 15 and uh, six assists last night on 50% shooting. Uh, how important is it for the Jays for him to continue this consistent play? Like for him not to have such a big drop off like he had after, you know, the Maui trip heading into basically this recent homestand? Yeah, I think I think Trey's huge. I mean, outside of Kalkbrenner, you've got uh, to me, kind of him and Baylor are key players. I mean, the whole starting lineup is big because they're really balanced, but Trey's a guy that can go get his own shot, especially. You know, we saw it in the NCAA tournament last year where if you were a late game and you want a guard to go get he, his bucket. He was he could, big time in the tournament last exactly. year. Exactly. I mean, he he stepped up huge, and that's because, you know, he's got the ability, even though he's, I think, about 6'4", he's got long arms and he's got that fadeaway mid-range jumper that, you know, it's, it's, it's fadeaway, but it's kind of fading back to where he can get his shot up. And that mid-range game was so deadly last year, at the end of last year especially, he seemed to almost kind of just be a little bit off during that stretch post-Maui and – you know, I think the three-point knocking that down as well as just getting his mid-range game back is huge because I think late in the year you're going to have some close games or even in the next couple games where, um, you know, your late game, you need a bucket and, you know, kind of give it to Trey and see if he can get a mid-range jumper. And it's not necessarily who people might think of first when they talk about Graydon because I think he was the only one in the starting lineup who wasn't an all-preseason Big East person. But he's huge from a defensive standpoint because he's guarding the best guard. You know, that was a role that you really had when you were here at Creighton. And then – you know, sometimes that can take away from your offensive end. And last year, he didn't have to do that as much because O'Connell did that a little bit more. But this year, I think maybe he's starting to find that rhythm of, okay, this is my role. And then also starting to just be more confident in his shot. And that'll be huge because, again, to me, when the when the plate breaks down, he does have the ability to kind of find his shot. And his mid-range seems to also be coming back with that three, which I think is a huge component because when when the shots aren't falling or the offense isn't flowing quite as much, if a team is really kind of taking us out of our offense, which doesn't happen a lot, but they can, you know, find ways to jam us up or get us stagnant. I think he's a guy that can, that can kind of create for himself or others as well. Like you said, he had five or six assists last night. That's one of those things that people don't understand. Like, I'm so glad you, that you mentioned that. Uh, when you are tasked to defend the best offensive player night in, night out, that takes a lot out of your legs. And offensively, like, it's really tough to get that rhythm especially like you said, like a play breaks down. Sometimes your first shot isn't a great shot and it's kind of hard to get out of that funk because you know that you have to chase around the opponent's best player more often than not. So yeah, I, I applaud Trey for like taking that challenge. I'm sure coach Mack talked to him before the season. It's like, Hey, we feel like with your length, with your skill, you're the type of guy that could really shut down some of these guys. He's kind of proven it to be honest. Like he's done a really good job to start the year. And I agree with you too. Like it's tough to find that right balance and it's good to see him you know, kind of get back to that for sure. Uh, another guy that we know is exceptional defensively, but just who hasn't had a lot of chance to get on the floor is Sharif Mitchell. 
Uh, he had a chance to really kind of stretch out last night a little bit. He had seven points off the bench, led those guys off the bench. He's a guy that's been really intriguing for me for these past couple of seasons because, like, we know he had a lot of talent coming in, you know, a lot of injuries, and he just hasn't been able to stay on the court as long as you might want to might want him to have to be um, these past few seasons. And I feel like it's taking a lot of confidence away from him. And, you know, when he steps on the court, he doesn't look like the guy that we knew as a freshman coming in. How important was it for him to just get a little bit of extended minutes, see the ball go in, you know, do his thing defensively? And how important is someone like him going to be down the stretch for the Jays who, you know, we, we always lament about the lack of bench scoring or the lack of bench production. It doesn't even have to be scoring necessarily. For a guy like him to get his confidence back up, how important is that for the Jays moving forward? Yeah, that, that's huge, especially when you're in conference play. You don't have a lot of blowouts where you can have guys get, you know, solid minutes off the bench. If they're normally only playing, say, five minutes a game, if you get a game like last night where he can start getting a lot of run and still some meaningful minutes and try to kind of get his confidence back, because I think that's what it is. It's it's that, that rhythm he hasn't quite been able to find. And part of it's been injuries. You know, he hasn't been able to stay fully healthy and really kind of find that rhythm. And, you know, we saw when Kalkbrenner got hurt and, Fred King, as a freshman, was able to kind of get extended minutes, and that, you know, did a lot for his confidence and being able to get him into that kind of rhythm and really kind of start feeling his offensive and defensive impact on the game. So with Reef, it's tough because, you know, we've got really good guards in front of him. So to your point, he's not going to be able to play a lot, but there might be some games where we have foul trouble or somebody goes down with an injury for a game or two where we are going to need him perhaps in a tough stretch. And so anytime you can get those minutes, it's huge. And and that's where we, we have seen Reef as one of the veterans on the team. You know, when he was younger, he was able to impact the game defensively. And he just hasn't been able to kind of find his confidence in his shot quite yet. He, he had a deep three last night. <clears throat> uh, yeah. But, you know, part of that's just, you know, kind of getting in the field. He may be a guy, and, and I haven't you know been at practice the last couple of years, but he may be a guy that's knocking him down in practice. And then until you kind of get those game rhythm minutes, you don't start to feel as confident. And that goes for every player, not just Reef. So, um, I think anytime you can get guys minutes like that um, to really kind of bolster them for the stretch run when they are going to be thrown in there, potentially it, it's huge. Let's do a little bit of a preview for what the Jays have coming up. They got Saturday against UConn at UConn. Uh, one of the best matchups in the Big East, obviously, is the Sonogo-Kalki matchup. We had Kalki right on the show earlier this year, and, you know, he didn't want to talk trash even though I try to egg him on he didn't want to mention any names even though I try to egg him on but I just know that this is a matchup that he's gonna really take personally and same thing for Sonogo on the other end because uh quiet as kept UConn has not be crane since moving back to the Big East what is one of the you know things that you're going to be paying special attention to as the game develops on Saturday what is, what is a matchup what is you know a, a key thing that you're going to be having your eye on yeah and they the fact that they haven't beaten us, they've they've made it known. I think, um, you know, one of their guys at Media Day kind of said it as well earlier this in the preseason that, you know, they had this game circled. So they, they've wanted to be great in the last couple of years. They've been great games. I think we've beaten five great times since they joined the Big East, and they've all seemed to be really solid games. And so they, they've, they've had this one circled. It's going to be a hostile environment, I think. You know, they're they lost the other day. They have a tough game, I think, tonight against Providence. So they have a tough stretch of their own right now. So – you know, frankly, what I'm looking for is kind of seeing the poise of, of, you know, our team going into a road environment like that. We we played at Texas, so we've got a little bit of road experience and we played tough games already in hostile environments and neutral court games. So the nice thing is, is this isn't our first road test and 
you know, what I'm looking for is when UConn, when, when the game gets fast paced, because it very well could with both teams, you know, are we playing fast, but playing under control? And because I think that's going to be huge because the emotions will be high in a game like that. They're going to, you know, a couple of them might be talking as well. And, and so they're going to want to really badly send a message to Creighton because they haven't been able to. And, you know, we were picked preseason favorite. They want to, you know, establish that they're the, the favorite now. So, you know, I'm just really looking for poise from the guys, which is a lot to, to ask for in a, in a, you know, a high intensity game, but also hopefully kind of continuing this confidence that we've got in the last couple of games and really, you know, hitting, knocking down some shots and just start feeling in, into our own rhythm again, because I think that's, That'll be huge and huge for our confidence going forward. If we can still play at this high level, win or lose on Saturday, if we play well, I think it goes a long way for the next couple of games and kind of going forward in the season because it's going to be a tough game, you know, a road opponent against a top five team. You know, it'll it'll be tough, but, um, you know, matchup wise, yeah, I mean, Sonogo, I, I would imagine, not only Sonogo, their backup big as well is, is really – just solid that they can throw at Kalkbrenner. So it'll be really key to not really get him in foul trouble, which Kalkbrenner does a great job of not fouling. But, you know, I think throwing Fred King against those two would be tough at this point in his career, which I think he could certainly do. But we'd like to, you know, keep Kalkbrenner in there as much as we can. The last time the Jays were in this kind of predicament was obviously against Texas. They did not shoot the ball well that night, and they still managed to, you know, give Texas everything that it wanted. Um, the ball drops a little bit more. I see the the – you know, the the ball turning into the Jays' favor a little bit too. Um, I mentioned the Kalki Sonogo matchup. You did as well. I think he's going to have a huge game. Who's another Blue Jay that you think is just going to have kind of a breakout performance? We haven't seen Sharman go crazy just yet. I feel like he's kind of due. Uh, if that's your pick, I'm sorry for seeing it before you did. But who's who's another Jay that you think is just going to have a pretty good performance here in, at UConn? Well, when you when you asked uh, the question, what first popped in my head was uh, R two. So Ryan Nimhart, I think he's kind of due. He had a good game last night. He's been doing a lot better since we've won the last couple of games. Um, he hasn't quite gotten to where he was in Maui in terms of some of those games where he kind of carried us, especially like an Arkansas game. He, and, and he was amazing in Maui though. Like that, that was about as high of a level as I've seen him play. And I think that's. You know, I, I've gotten to meet him a couple times, so I don't know him like crazy well. But I think he's the kind of kind of guy where in these big games, that's where he'll step up. And so I think, you know, he's the guy that kind of lives for that that big game atmosphere, like we saw in Maui. And so, you know, I, I guess for my prediction, I, I'd imagine he'll if for the Jays to win, I think he'll have a really good game. And you know, if he does, then they have a great shot. Last question I wanted to ask you before we get out of here. You know, you talked about the Jays playing these tough environments. Uh, that Texas game obviously was super tough. All these neutral side games are really tough because it just kind of brings a different type of atmosphere. Like the crowd is 50-50. There's a lot of back and forth. The swing of the pendulum is like you can really feel it in the air. What is the difference really, would you say, in like a neutral side, side game and like a true road game? And, and why are both difficult in their own right? Yeah, they're both difficult because, I mean, no matter what you feel, the atmosphere, the, the the neutral site game first, the nice thing is, you know, if we when we played neutral games, Creighton fans traveled really well. So you would have a good group of Creighton fans that were cheering you on and you kind of carry off that energy as well. But then, you know, it's kind of no matter what happens, there's a group of fans cheering. So it's kind of its own kind of high intense atmosphere. But when you're on the road, I mean, and it's a hostile environment, there is a couple of them in the Big East that were a lot of fun. You know, Villanova, just number one because of how good they are, but they have good fans as well. Xavier, you know, to me are the kind of two that jump out. And then from Providence, a hostile, Providence as well, Providence as well. That's the, that's that far East Coast uh, 
uh, fans <laughs> there that aren't, aren't the, afraid to give it to you. The hostility is real when you're at no, Providence. Like that, the one trip that one. I had there, I remember that vividly. Like you could just hear every single word that they're saying, and they're not nice words. Like, no, they're not, not necessarily not. cheering their team. They're more or less cussing you out. <laughs> yeah, and you're right. The bench is right by a lot of just the the fans at Providence, especially. It's just the way it's mm-hmm. – and same with Xavier, for that matter, because you're right by the student section. But um, both of those, you know, are, are arenas are awesome atmospheres. And so what you're facing there, you know, is when a team goes on that run, a home team goes on the run, and the crowd's really in it, you know, can you stay under control and not get off script too much or – can you kind of have that poise and calm things down? And, and, you know, the nice thing was is they did get that experience in Maui as crazy of an atmosphere as that is in terms of a small gym, everybody who was there talked about how just crazy the atmosphere was for those games, like high intensity. And so I think you got to, you saw some of that, you know, in that game against Arkansas in particular, you know, the team kind of punch after punch that Arkansas was throwing, you know, they were able to answer the call. And I think that's huge for these games down the stretch where, when you're in a road environment, you're going to have a team like UConn, especially that makes some runs and the crowd's going to be going nuts. And can you like stay under control and maintain the game plan? And so that's the difference there is, is kind of, you know, clearly that the fact that you're just going, you, you guys are 12 guys versus the whole stadium of 20,000 or 15,000, however many they have to where it's uh it makes it challenging. It's, you know, sometimes it's just communication as well. If you're not able to communicate as much, but, you know, ultimately I think, the, the nice thing is, is it's a, uh, it's a fun game, a fun environment, and it makes it a lot more fun when you win on the road. I definitely miss the times where we're in a timeout and you could see Mac screaming his ass off and we still can't hear what he's saying because of how loud a crowd is like those, those are the moments for sure. They're super challenging, but I think like if I were to compare neutral side versus a true role game, I would take a true role game in a heartbeat just because like you said, there's so much more camaraderie at stake there. It's the 12 guys in uniform versus the world, basically, is what it feels like in, in that hour and a half, two hours that you're in that environment. And there's really, truly nothing quite like going at Villanova, you know, hanging a 40-piece on them like we were able to do my senior year, walking out of that uh, out of that arena at Wells Fargo. Man, like, there's no better feeling than that. TC, I really appreciate you taking time out of your morning. Like, I know you're a busy guy. I'm, I'm so happy to see you. But I'm sure we're going to have a chance to catch up here soon. I'd love to have you back on the podcast so we could talk some more Jays basketball. Uh, any last words for the fans, for the current players? Anything that you want to say as you're signing off? Um, I mean, the only thing to the fans is, yeah, just kind of trust that it's a long season. Um, you know, the, the good thing is, is we've seen us kind of get back on track a little bit here and, you know, there is going to be a stretch where we maybe lose one or two more in a row um, at some point. That's just kind of the way it goes. Ideally not. So hopefully we can keep winning. But, you know, don't get too up and down on the one game at a time. And l- long term, I think we're going to be great. So I'm excited about this team. And, uh, you know, it'll be a fun stretch coming up. Let's get it. Come on, Jace. You hear a word from TC himself, the man, the legend, the Shawnee legend for sure. I appreciate you stepping into the J with me one more time. Uh, this has been another episode of the Welcome to the J podcast. I am your host, Jahans Maniga. This has been my 10th guest this year, TC, Tyler Clement. Appreciate you, brother. Take care. Stay safe. Happy New Year. How about that? 2023. Happy New Year. Happy New yeah. Year. <laughs> happy New Year to you. Happy, no. happy Thanks New for having me on. Fans out there, too. Yeah. Yeah. We'll catch up soon. We appreciate you as always. Go Jays. Yeah, thanks, Jay.
Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast.